walk through these doors, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead them, convict them into a relationship with Christ, that Jesus would be their Lord and Savior now and forever, my God. Lord, we just thank you for those who have prepared and work with our children and love our children and bless them, Lord. Just an extra measure of blessing on their homes today, Lord God, we pray. And we just thank you. And now we pray, Lord, that you would bless this word to our, our minds and our hearts as we rejoice in your first advent. Lord, open up our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So family, Christmas season is upon us. I cannot believe it. It seems like just yesterday we were, you know, talking about, oh, we're going to the beach, and it's already now December, yes? And I, I, I really enjoy this time of year. I love going out and finding the perfect tree, and I always say I'm going to come home with a skinny tree, and then I come home with the bush. So we, the bush is in a house that's so small, the mouse is hunchback, but we got this giant tree in the living room. And then uh, decorating, I love decorating the inside. I used to put up this hokey cardboard fireplace and hang stockings from it. And the outside usually results in a Christmas vacation for me. The wires are twisted, the lights don't work, but we do it anyway. But what I really love is, is the Christmas music. And I love the oldies. Nat King Cole, right, singing Silent Night. Bing Crosby, White Christmas. And a hymn that I just love, uh, the version by Josh Groban, uh, What Child Is This? But I have to say, I'm putting Josh aside for our worship teams um, doing it last night. It was absolutely wonderful. What I want to do is uh, look at this hymn and look at two questions that are answered in the first two stanzas of this beautiful hymn, What Child Is This? And the, fir uh, the first question is in stanza one. It says, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? whom angels greet an anthem sweet while shepherds watch is keeping. And then here's the answer. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. And the second question is in the second stanza. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear for sin is here. The silent word is pleading. The answer again is this. This this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. And church, the response to both questions is given in the third stanza of the hymn. Listen carefully. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come rich and poor to own him. The King of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. So going along with the title of the hymn, one may ask, what child is this? Who is this person? Who is this man? And this is not a new question because it's been asked through the ages. Because if we look at the biblical account of Jesus' life, this question was asked from the time he was born until the time he rose from the dead. If we look back, we could say the shepherds and the wise men asked this type of question, who is this child? And then when Jesus was 12 and he was in the temple and they were going over the scriptures and he was answering and answering, uh, asking questions, the Pharisees were like, who is this child? And even as he grew older, the leaders raised similar questions about this child. And years later, as the Lord walked through in his three-and-a-half-year public ministry, people always asked, who is this man? What kind of power does he have? What teaching is this? 
the religious leaders, the common people, and even his closest friends asked this beyond his resurrection from the dead. This question has been asked. And strange as it seems, it wasn't the religious leaders who answered it. It wasn't the intellectuals of the day that answered it. It was a crotchety fisherman who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. His name was Simon, and he was given the name Peter. Listen to Matthew 16, 13 to 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now the answer Peter gave is essentially the same as stated in the hymn. This, this is Christ the King. That same baby, the same calming looking man who walked amongst us is none other than Christ the King. Amen? So when we hear the words, how do we reconcile such a destiny with such a humiliating birth, life, and death? And family, since we're in the Christmas season, what I'd like to do is look at some events surrounding the Lord's birth and then ask ourselves and answer the question of what are some things that God was trying to show us through his birth? What are some truths that we can glean from his coming when the creator of the world actually stepped into humanity and became the Christ child? Family, one purpose we see in Jesus' words, actions, and life is that he represented the person and personality of God the Father. So he comes in and he will show us what the Father desires of us in his life, his Christmas narrative. I'd like to examine a few of these truths this morning that we as believers share. So our first point to see the things we want to see and apply is from the place of his birth, the place of his birth. And the first truth we discover surrounding the place of his birth is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Listen, that God moved the entire Roman Empire, the, probably one of the mightiest empires that ever stood on the face of the earth, so that the scripture that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem would be fulfilled. So he moves the entire Roman Empire, and we see his sovereign hand at work, so the Christ child will fulfill the prophecy in Micah 5, uh, verse 2. If you will, please turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 which I believe the kids read this morning already. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to, to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room for them in the inn. Now, the aspect of this Christmas narrative teaches us that the same powerful God who moved the empire, moves all the affairs of heaven and earth to fulfill his will and his word. So as Christians, this should be a source of blessing, that every promise in the word of God is yes and amen and will be fulfilled. We will be with Christ in his eternal kingdom. We will receive resurrected 
bodies. He will come again in the rapture. He will not leave us nor forsake us. So we can stand as we see God fulfill his word and move entire empires that we can stand on the truth that every promise is yes and amen. And if we were to take this down to a personal level, listen carefully, there's no aspect of our lives that the Lord does not have his sovereign hand upon. Amen? He has a plan for each one of us, and as we seek him and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do what he has called us to do. We can fulfill those aspects of our lives. And he can move any empire that stands in the way of fulfilling what he wants to do in and through us. Do you hear me? So we can say, you don't know who my boss is. You don't know my situation. You don't know my family. No, I don't, but God does. And he can work in and through it to fulfill the plan that he has for you. But listen, no matter if this life is easy or if it is not, we can trust his omniscience, his omnipotence, right? And his omnipresence in every one of the situations of our lives. He's working all things together for good. Sometimes it may not seem that way, but he's working in us to mold us into the image of his son and to fulfill his plan that he has for each one of our lives. Every one of us has a life calling from the Lord. We just have to seek him, and he'll guide and direct us through it. And family, it's the same sovereign God that orchestrated the place of Christ's birth that will orchestrate the affairs of our lives, and that should be a source of comfort, culminating with the promise of eternal life. Listen. He will come again. He will establish his millennial kingdom. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will receive glorified and resurrected bodies and be with him through eternity. It's going to happen. He said it in his word, and it will come to pass. Amen? All right, let's go on and see what else we can glean from the place of his birth. Well, we, uh, we will see that this child, the king of kings and lord of lords, was born in a manger. And we think, oh, the manger scene the cozy little Christ child nestled up in the hay. How nice. Hogwash. It was a place where they kept the dirty, filthy animals, and this is the place where the Christ child was born. And some uh, Bible theologians believe that it was actually a side of a cold cave that the Christ child was born in. So uh, our nativity scene may seem cute, but it's very unrealistic. All right, the Christ child was born into a very humble existence. The stall was the very place that God the Father ordained that his son would be born. And it is the absolute picture of humility. Right from the very part of his birth coming into the world, Christ walked in absolute humility. So the application for us, family, is since the birth of the Son of God was the epitome of humility, then we must understand that as his disciples... He's calling each and every one of us to that same degree of humility as we go through this life. We are to exemplify him in our motives, our attitudes, our actions, and reactions. And if we study the life of Christ, the Son of God, become man, walked in complete humility, and it started in the place of his birth in the manger. And throughout his life, the humble carpenter, in his three-and-a-half-year ministry, the humble servant, went through right to the cross of Calvary but showing us as Christians this is the life he chooses and asks us to live, living sacrifices for him. He set the example, and he is asking us to walk the same path as humble Christians. Amen? And let me explain something. It, this uh, sacrifice or this birth in the manger goes along 
with a call to self-sacrifice and devotion. All righty? And listen, we can never save anybody by the sacrifice of our own life, but by living a sacrificial, you, you, humbling life of humility and walking in Christ's life love, we hope that that will draw others to come and know Jesus as Lord and Savior as they see Christ in us. When the whole world, as we go along now, we see all the chaos, we see all the attitude, we see the hostility, yet if we can walk in that Christ-like humility and that Christ-like love and show the world through us, Christ in us, it can only draw them, hopefully draw them, onto a relationship with our Lord and Savior so they have the same gift of eternal life. Amen? So it's not only pleasing to the Father, but it's also a way of drawing others onto Christ. And family, let's go on. His birth also points to the accessibility of Christ. If Jesus was born in a palace, not many people would have access to go and see him. But he was born in a manger, and lowly shepherds came to see him. Wise men and magi came to see him. And throughout his entire ministry, people had access to the, to the Lord. They came from all areas to see him. They even lowered people through the roofs of people's houses. But there was accessibility to the Lord. And because of the work that Jesus did, the curtain in the temple is torn in two, and we have access to the Father 24-7, as Tim said. There is nothing that separates us from the love of God. Amen? Listen to Matthew 11, 28 and 30. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in Revelation 7, 9, it says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of the Lamb. And what this tells me is saying, Come, whoever, whosoever, come, I'm accessible. And as we look into heaven, that's what I read from Revelation, Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, no matter what your social status is, Christ says, come. And it doesn't matter because as we approach him by faith, we are accepted into his glorious kingdom. Amen? Amen. And if we go on, we can also uh, look and gain some spiritual truths, not only from the place he was born, but the way in which he was born. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. Luke chapter 1. And it says, in the sixth months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. So family, let me ask you, why did God choose to do it this way? Well, there are obvious reasons. The first, to fulfill scripture. Because in Isaiah 7.14, it says the virgin will be with child. And it may also be for theological study, that Jesus had to be born without a sin nature. But for practical application, and today, we have to understand that back in the day, ready? 
to say that this child was born of a virgin would have, wouldn't have been believed by many people, if any. Oh, yeah, could you see? Okay, guys, your wife comes home. Oh, guess what? I'm with child uh, by the Holy Spirit. Right. Your daughter comes home. I'm with child from the Holy Spirit. Right. All right, so think about it. Take yourself back there. How many people would have believed? So if they would have tried to tell the story that she's with child from the Holy Spirit, not many people would have believed them. Amen? So put yourself in their shoes. Think about Joseph. If he took Mary as his wife, two things would have happened. One, if he admitted that she's pregnant, they would have said, well, dude, you must be the father of the child. Second, they, if he didn't admit it, they would have said, you're a fool for marrying an unfaithful woman. Yes? So think about Joseph. And Mary, you know what they would have called her? And how about Jesus? He grew up with the stigma of being an illegitimate child, and you know what they call an illegitimate child born out of wedlock. So they had to carry some of these stigmas. Now, the practical application for us is that this Christmas narrative teaches us that for all of us who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you ready? We are going to put ourselves in opposite, if you will, of all the ideologies, philosophies of the world, and probably receive the same mocking and ridicule that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus received. That we are actually putting no unintended a cross on our chest or a target on us that we live by a totally different set of mores and standards. All righty? And listen to uh, John 15, 18 to 21. This is Jesus speaking. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would have loved you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Remember what I told you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And like I've said in the past, salvation is easy. Sanctification is difficult. First of all, we have to crucify our flesh and go against what our flesh says and live according to the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're also going to deal with the ridicule and the mocking that the world's going to throw at us because we don't follow the same ideas and philosophies that the world does. When we say we believe in the creation story, they call us ignorant. When we say we don't believe in certain mores that our culture follows or sociological things that our culture follows, they say we're ignorant, that we don't love, that we're not accepting. Meanwhile, what they're following was contrary to the word of God. So we will receive the same types of mockery and ridicule and jousting that, that the Holy Family received. But for today's purpose, right, uh, we want to understand that we will go through that also. But listen carefully. We can live and endure all the criticism and mockery if we lean on the Holy Spirit and are willing to demonstrate the same trust, the same perseverance that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus did we can endure. Amen? We are to keep our eyes on him and his purpose and call on our life to bring him glory and reach the lost. And just walk through and the, uh, laughing, whatever you want to uh, label it, to identify with him. Amen? Now, with that said, let's look at our, our last point this morning. I was told to keep it short today, so let's look at our last point. What spirit truths can we glean from the lineage of this child? And I thought this was really good, a good way to end. Please turn to Matthew chapter 1. And it's here that Scripture is going to actually give us the genealogical record of the Lord and his lineage. And what we're going to see in there are some real characters in Jesus' lineage. And we're going to kind of look at four ladies, not to pick on all ladies, but four ladies who have a little bit of a shady background, but they are part of the lineage of Christ. So turn to Matthew chapter 1. And let's uh, begin at verse 3. It says, Judah, 
the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. Now, the story of Judah here is he has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And Ur marries this woman, and he's wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord puts him to death. His brother is supposed to pick it up and actually marry this woman so that they can have children. Because if a woman was without a male heir at that time, it was really a horrible place to live in society. But he won't give this woman a child. And the Lord puts him to death. And Sheila, the youngest, is too young for Tamar to marry. So what does Tamar do? She knows a father-in-law is coming into town. She prostitutes herself. She masks herself and sleeps with a father-in-law to have a child. So what I'm getting at is this is one of the ladies in the lineage of the Messiah. And if we go on and look at um, verse 5a, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, Rahab was a madam of an innkeeper and possibly a prostitute, but she did have a fear of God because she hid the two Jewish spies when they were coming into town. But again, here is another person in the lineage of Christ that you might say is a little shady, right? And then if we go on and look at verse 5b, it says, Boaz, the father of Obed, who was the mother, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth was a Moabitess. Yes, she was from Moab. And this was a nation that was at war with Israel, and they actually hated each other. Plus, she came from a pagan country. But what does she do? She follows her mother-in-law back into Israel, into Judah, and says, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So here's another woman that you could say is from an outsider who comes and puts a faith in the Lord God, all right? And then finally, if you look at verse 6b in Matthew 1, it says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, who we know as Bathsheba. So here we got Bathsheba in the mix. Here she was bathing, keeping the curtains open or the blinds open, and David's looking down. He's like, what ho, you know? So all of a sudden, she comes up to the king's bedroom and has Solomon. And David ends up, what, committing adultery and killing her husband Uriah. But again, here's a woman with questionable background, and David and all these guys with questionable backgrounds that are in the lineage of Messiah. So what does all that have to do with us this morning? Well, there's two things I want us to glean from this, and I thought this was a really good way to end the sermon. First of all, no matter what skeletons may be in our family tree or what bents of sin are evident in our family background, we do not have to be bound by them. Do you hear me? Even if we have people in our family background that go after the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or pride of life, those things don't have to bind us. We can be set free through Jesus Christ when we put our faith in him. Amen? And the second thing is this. All people fall short of the glory of God and sin. Yes, that's what the scripture tells us. And for some of us, we may have reached the depths of depravity by saying, there's no way that I will ever be accepted by God. But remember, sin is sin. And listen to me carefully, all sin, all sin was forgiven at the cross of Christ. So no matter what, no matter what we have done, no matter where we have been, we can come to the cross of Christ, no matter what our family backgrounds were, whether it be alcohol or drugs or whatever you want to call it, mafia, hitmen, whatever you want to call it, you can come and say, I'm not bound by this. I'm putting my faith in Christ, and I know my sins are forgiven. Amen? Amen? 
And I can be, an, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are now new creations in Christ. The new has come. The old is gone. We're brand spanking new. And God looks at us in the righteousness of his son, and we have the eternal hope of heaven. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So I have down here, no matter one's heritage, no matter what sins we committed, we can be forgiven. In church, this is why he came. Do you hear me? This is why he came. It's the reason we rejoice in the coming of this Christ child. We were bound in our sins. We could not keep the law. We were bound by it. It showed us that we were sinners. So the Christ child comes into the world for one reason. You know what his name Jesus means? The Lord saves. He came to save us. Amen? It's because, and we have to look because beyond the cradle is the cross. And beyond the cross is the resurrected Christ that gives every man and woman eternal hope. Because he rose from the dead, in him we will also rise with him and have the hope of eternal glory. And family, listen, it began in eternity to become the son of man and step into human time and place and be the savior. And if you have put your faith in him this morning, you have this hope of eternal life. You have the absolute assurance that your sins are forgiven and will never be held against you, no matter what they are. As I said, my wife was a good sinner. I was a bad sinner. And we're both forgiven in the cross of Christ. Amen? And I turned her into a bad sinner. No, no. <laughs> Before we got saved. But no, yes. But um, we came. And even if it was just mild, it's sin. If it's severe, it's sin. But all is forgiven at the foot of the cross. And I'll go back. A wonderful thing I used to teach U.S. history that I studied was here was Robert E. Lee kneeling at the cross and an African-American man came in and wouldn't go up because Lee was a confederate. And Robert E. Lee turns to him and says, come up here, son. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Amen? And we are. And every sin is forgiven. So now, to summarize this morning, let us answer our original question. A question that has been asked through the ages. What child is this? Who is this man? And the answer is this. He's the son of God who came into the world to become the savior to all who would believe in his redemptive work and now sits at the right hand of the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. And as the beautiful old hymn that we started off with says, this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This is who we celebrate at Christmas. This is why we celebrate and rejoice, not only assurance, because this Christ child came to go to the cross of Calvary and rose from the dead, we have the absolute assurance to be in the Father's presence forever and ever through eternity. So what child is this? God the Son, come in the flesh to go to the cross of Calvary to save us from our sins. That's the real meaning of Christmas. That's why we celebrate. The presents are nice. The decorated tree is nice. The lights outside are nice, but the Christ child who came to save us is the real reason for the season. And it's what the Lord God wants us to share with all those crazies going after all the presents, the real reason for Christmas. Because no matter, as I have a t-shirt that says, God didn't place his real gift under the tree, he placed it on the tree. Amen? So praise God. Let us pray, and then we have coffee and bagels and dessert in the back. Lord God, again, we just thank you today as we celebrate 
your first coming, your first advent, that you, the Christ child, you, the living God, stepped off of eternity into, from eternity and into time and place to become the man Jesus. And Lord, you came for one reason. You kept the cross always before you. And Lord, we thank you that you came and went to the cross of Calvary to save us from our sins, that in you, Lord, we have the hope of eternal life. Lord God, I pray that every person in this place has put their faith in you as Lord and Savior, and not just through a religion, Lord, or not just through rituals, but a heartfelt change of a relationship with you, that they be born of your spirit and would be with you through eternity. My God, we just pray that you would bless our fellowship afterwards and let us rejoice in the fellowship we have one with another through who we are in Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Hallelujah.